Our scripture lesson comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these people who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans, Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with the new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon the flesh. All your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Hear these words from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Over the past couple of weeks, uh, except for last week, whenever we were uh, uh, so graciously, graciously hosted uh, by Curtis Keller, uh, but over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about this concept of the life of a disciple. And I had a lot of fun playing around with that word life, turning it into a, uh, a an what is that word called? It's not an acrostic. It's not an acronym. Thank you. <laughs> an acronym. Yes. <laughs> uh, in, in which we unpacked each of those letters of life and came to understand that a disciple is one who is committed to lifelong learning. That's the L. And intentionality. That's the I. And fellowship. That's the F. And enthusiasm. E, 
And, you know, I, I had a lot of fun with the enthusiasm one saying, instead, maybe we should consider being zesty disciples. But the life of a disciple is more than just about doing these things. A disciple isn't just somebody who is committed to lifelong learning, someone who is intentional in their decisions, someone who fellowships with other disciples, or somebody, someone who is enthusiastic and zesty about their faith. Uh, those are all well and good, but that's not enough. That's not the full picture. You see, the life of a disciple is about identity. It's about who you are. And when I say you, I do mean you individually, but I also mean you, us, collectively, the church. Uh, I want to tell you a story about something that, uh, something horribly ironic that happened about two years or so ago. Uh, so my wife, Kristen, and I, we were in the ordination process in the United Methodist Church, and uh, we got these stoles whenever we were ordained. I love wearing this stole. It makes me feel very important. <laughs> uh, we, were, we were in this process, and the process of ordination is one that lasts for years, okay? We, we started this whenever we were in college. We were going through what's called candidacy, where we discern ordination in the life of the church. And then we went through seminary to actually be equipped to be ordained. And then after seminary, we were commissioned in the church, which is kind of like a, like a residency for doctors kind of thing. Uh, and and in, then we were ordained two years after that. In all of this time, you write hundreds of pages of paperwork, and, uh, and it's quite exhausting. And you also have to do a project called a Fruitfulness in Discipleship Project. Uh, the whole purpose of the project is to see if you as a pastor are going to be fruitful in making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Because that's the mission statement of the United Methodist Church. The mission of the United Methodist Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And they want to see before you're ordained if you're fruitful in doing that. Well, uh, in the, my, my, discipleship, my fruitfulness and discipleship project started out uh, with a, uh, a description called Disciple Life. And you might remember this uh, in its infancy stages because we started to introduce this concept of life groups in the church. These small groups that we wanted to form to uh, gather together in fellowship to encourage one another in learning intentionality, fellowship, and enthusiasm. And just before we were about to launch those, March 15th happened of 2020. And, you know, that was the day that everything started to catch on fire and burn. It was terrible. And uh, suddenly we couldn't meet together. And life groups didn't quite make sense anymore. And so I amended my project just slightly to explore a single question. Who are we as a church? As a people of God, who are we? What is our identity in all of this? And there were many different points in, in this exploration uh, leading up to ordination. Uh, one of the points that happened as I was exploring what is our identity as a church was that we had, uh, you might recall, 28 days to pray for SHA. It was this prayer campaign for over 28 days. We lifted up a different prayer, asking uh, for discernment, asking for God's guidance as a church so that we could be the church that we are called to be in the midst of disaster, in the midst of pandemic. 
Six days after 28 Days to Pray for SHA ended, any, can anybody guess what happened or remember what happened? What's that? No, it was after that. Yes, there it is. Hurricane Sally came through. Hurricane Sally came through, and then a couple weeks after that, Hurricane Zeta, and we had no idea what we were in store for as a church. Everything suddenly seemed to be going wrong. And uh, I felt really bad, because you know that old saying that, um, that if you pray for patience, God is going to give you opportunities to be patient, right? Well, I, I, I felt terribly bad after the 28 days to pray for SHA because if you ask God for your identity, God is going to give you moments to find your identity. And I felt partially responsible for all of this. Uh, <laughs> uh, because all of a sudden, everything started falling apart. And it didn't stop. It didn't stop falling apart. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed that, but if you were to reflect on the past two years, <laughs> what? <laughs> and this past Friday, I was sitting in the airport uh, in uh, Kalispell, Montana, and we were about to come back home from Montana. And as uh, our flight ended up being delayed by three hours, and we were terrified about more travel woes, uh, but we, we were fine. But during that time, we were sitting there in the airport as whenever I got the call from, uh, from Don Woolley, who's the head of Quad W Missional Internship, saying that we were going to have to pull the plug on the Mobile site. I will say, we're not the only site that this has happened to. There have been four others that this has happened to as well. That's how rough it's been. Uh, and after getting that call in the airport, I, I just had to sit down and hang my head because I started to realize something. Ever since I have arrived at this church, things have been going wrong. <laughs> Ever since I showed up in, in July of 2019, I don't think we've had an actual win. I don't think that things have gone very well. We've had like these small little ups and things have been like, oh, that's, that's encouraging, that's exciting. Uh, but then <laughs> we, we never, you know, we get the whole one step forward and 20 steps back. And, and, and so I was sitting there hanging my head because this was, this was like almost the, the straw that broke the camel's back. I'm sitting there thinking, Am I a curse on this church? Because we just keep hitting these lows and we keep finding all of these very difficult experiences that I don't know how on earth you all are here right now because on paper this church should have closed down months, even years ago. It's astounding, your resiliency. In fact, at, uh, at charge conference this past year, I told all the other churches in our uh, district that y'all have actually gone beyond resiliency. Uh, Spring Hill Avenue United Methodist Church is a radically stubborn congregation. You refuse to die. And that's, I love that, and we need more of that in the life of the church. Uh, and so, so I know that it's not you all. <laughs> 
And I wonder, is it me? Am I the one who's, who's ruining things in the life of the church? And so as I was hanging my head uh, there in the airport in Kalispell this past Friday, a movie came to mind. The movie we actually watched uh, the Friday before that, Encanto. If you were able to make it out to our movie night, you were able to see half of that movie. <laughs> it was a little bit too bright outside for our projector for the first half of the movie. Go figure. But uh, the movie Encanto came to mind, uh, and, and it was, if you haven't seen the movie, spoiler alert, <laughs> uh, there's the main character, Mary Bell, uh, or Mary Bella, uh, she keeps going through all these moments where things in her life are falling apart. Even her house, her family's house, and her position in her family. And, and as things keep falling apart, she starts to wonder, is it all her fault? And it eventually comes to this point where she has to contend with that. Is she the problem for her family, for the people in her village? Is she the problem? And it's in that moment that there's this wonderful reconciliation that ends up happening and this, clima uh, this climactic shift that happens in which she realizes that her identity in the family isn't the family failure. Her identity is to be the one who carries on the legacy. And it got me realizing that this is something that, that movies do really well. The next movie you watch, look out for this. That in, in movies, uh, we have this climactic shift when the main character has a breakthrough about their identity. All of a sudden there's this turn in the movie right after everything gets really bad. In the average movie length of about an hour and 45 minutes, this usually happens at about an hour and 15 minutes. Okay? Uh, everything's really bad. And the main character has this, uh, this shift or this breakthrough in which they come to understand their identity. And uh, I started piecing this together with my all-time favorite movie, The Lion King, uh, and in which Simba has been running away from all of his problems for years and years, and suddenly he has to actually face them and ask, am I the reason for all of these problems? And there's this wonderful moment in which uh, Rafiki beats him on the head with a stick, and he ends up seeing his uh, beloved father in the sky in this weird apparition thing, and Mufasa tells Simba, remember who you are. It's an identity shift. And it helped me realize that we as a people one of the reasons why this movie trope is so popular is that we as a people find out who we really are in the midst of profound brokenness. And we've been through some profound brokenness as a church. And darn it if it all didn't start because I wanted to find out who we are as a church. But I think that we need that. We need to know our identity because... The life of a disciple is wrapped up in our identity. 
When we realize who we are in Christ, we find this climactic shift in our own lives, the shift toward not just the things that a disciple does, but the life of a disciple. 1 Peter chapter 2 has so many powerful declarations about identity. Hear these words, but you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you hear those identity statements? We start out with a chosen people. When else in scripture do we hear about the chosen people? This is one of those call and response things, <laughs> the awkward moments. With Israel, they are called God's chosen people in the Old Testament. And, uh, and God's chosen people, if you've been in either of the Bible studies lately, you've uh, heard me talk about this. God's chosen people, that's a very delicate phrase uh, that, that we need to understand. Because we often will say that Israel is God's chosen people, but we don't know for what purpose. Chosen for what? That's the question we need to hold on to for a moment. But whenever Peter says, who is very Jewish, by the way, uh, whenever Peter says, you are a chosen people, what he's saying, and he's speaking to the church in this moment, this is the New Testament, he's speaking to the church, he's saying that you are the legacy of Israel, the people that God has chosen. For what purpose? We'll get there. Then, a royal priesthood. Does anybody remember which of the 12 tribes of Israel were considered the priestly tribe? Levi, that's right. Yes, uh, to be the royal priesthood meant to carry on the lineage of Levi. And the lineage of Levi, those were the ones who could enter into the Holy of Holies in the temple. Okay, so if, if, you've, if you've never seen the way that the temple had, was structured, uh, both in Solomon's time and also in Jesus' time, the temple was structured with many different areas where only certain people could go. First, there was the court of the Gentiles, where, where people who were not Jewish, they were at least able to come this far to the temple. And then there was the court of women, because women were inferior for far too long, still are. Uh, and the court of women, they were only allowed to come so far. And then there was the court of men, they were able to come in a little bit further. And then there was the court of uh, priests, where all the sacrifices were done. Uh, and then... Beyond the court of priests, there was the Holy of Holies, where the high priests, the royal priestly lineage, was able to enter into the Holy of Holies and meet with God, the very presence of God in this space. Only a select handful of people were allowed to do this. And what Peter says is that that's no more the case. You are the royal priesthood. Each and every one of you can walk straight through the court of the Gentiles, through the court of the women, through the court of the men, through the court of the priests, right into the Holy of Holies and meet with God. Because that is what God wants for God's people. And then we have this identity, a holy nation. That's what the people of Israel were always meant to be, a holy nation, a nation set apart, unlike all the other nations. A nation that declares the glory of God. And then we get this statement, God's own people. 
To be a people of God is a dramatic identity claim because these are people who belong to God and not the world. You see, we as people, we really, while we say we like freedom, and we do like freedom to an extent, we also really like a little bit of subjugation. We like to belong to something. We like to have people tell us what to do at times. Uh, and, you know, the, the classic example of this is in traffic. If you're driving down Airport Boulevard, you want those lights to be there. You may not want it to be red, but you want those lights to be there. Because if they're not there, there is no more driving. There's just constant collision after collision after collision. We need a little bit of something governing our freedom a little bit here. We need to be a people who belong to something, some kind of code, some kind of ritual, something that is greater than we are. It's one of the reasons why people stand up for their countries, for their nations, why they go to war for their nation, because they want to belong to something greater than themselves, to be a people of that nation. Here, Peter says, you are God's own people, those people who belong to God and not the world. Consider the implications of that. And then there's this wonderful part that has connections to Hosea that we just don't have time to get into. These two verses of, of uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 uh, are, are so rich and deep in what they have to say. But uh, verse 10 says, Once you were not a people, in the book of Hosea, God instructs Hosea to name his uh, first child uh, let me see if I can get this right. Nope, I'm going to get him backwards. Anyways, names, to name his first child, not my people. Can you imagine having that name? That's terrible. <laughs> That's terrible. Don't name your children, not my people. And then his second child, Hosea's second child, uh, was, was to be named, will not receive mercy. That's even worse. <laughs> Don't do this to your kids. Hosea was a crazy person. We need his prophecy, though. Uh, and here, 1 Peter shifts this and says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's all wrapped up in your identity. And then we get to that question that I asked at the beginning. To what end? To what end are we a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people? Why are we that people? The answer lies in Pentecost. This day that we celebrate each year, uh, we, we don't make a big enough deal about it. The first Pentecost day was a weird one. We'll just leave it at that. It, it was a very weird day, right? Uh, there's this great rushing wind, and there's these tongues of fire. What does that even mean? And they're resting on the disciples. That sounds like they should burn up. And they're speaking in all these different languages. Okay, that's super weird. And everybody's telling them that they're, they're drunk. And they're like, no, it's only 9 o'clock. And they're like, we drink at 9 o'clock too. It's, our, you know. uh, it's a very weird day. Pentecost is a very weird day. It's 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. That's what Pentecost, 50 days. Uh, also, also in the Jewish tradition, the Festival of Booths. Uh, after these 50 days, it's been 50 days, right? You remember how long ago Easter was? It doesn't feel like that long ago, but a, a lot's happened since Easter. 
And it's taken 50 days for the disciples to finally leap into action. And this action ends up looking like foolishness to the world around them. They're filled with new wine. At least it's not the old wine. But you see, they know who they are. Maybe differently to say, they know whose they are. The disciples know their role and their function. And their realized identity leads to the birth of the church. That very moment is the reason why we are here today. In this space, in this church, that very moment dramatically changed the course of human history. And it should be the reason we continue living as the church, as disciples. That reason is that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, set apart to change the world for the glory of God and the salvation of humanity. That's what Pentecost is all about, that we adopt our identity as disciples. And so on this Pentecost day, 2,000 years later, that's the challenge I want to leave you with, to live the life of a disciple, of learning, of intentionality, of fellowship, of enthusiasm, wrapped up into our identity as a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. That is who you are. It must be more than just our obligation. It must be our identity. Whenever I started the project to unpack our identity as a church, I had no idea what was going to come next. And to be honest, if I knew what was going to be coming next, I probably would have started that project. But looking back over the past few years, I can confidently say, and I can say this with confidence, that God is working to show us what it means to identify as disciples who act as vessels for the Holy Spirit so that we can spawn a new age of the church. Because it's time. If you've been in Bible study with me lately, you've heard me talk about the 500-year cycle. About-ish, not perfectly, but about every 500 years, the church goes through a revival. 500 years ago, it was the Protestant Reformation. And if you want to keep tracing all these 500 years back, eventually you'll get to Pentecost. Eventually, you know, you just start cycling back through the entire story of the Bible. About every 500 years. Guess what? We're in the 500-year point, and the church is dying. It just is, that people are not coming back to church the way that they once were. And that's not a bad thing, inherently, but it is something we need to understand what that means for us. For those of us who see ourselves as disciples, who identify as disciples of Christ, we are called to then take the church in the power of the Holy Spirit into a new era of the church. It might not look exactly the same. That's okay. But what it does need to look like that's the same as years, decades, centuries, millennia in the past is a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people who act as vessels of the Holy Spirit so that we can 
transform the world for the glory of God. May it be so. May we as disciples ensure that it is so. Let us pray.